0: You'll notice the, the, the scripture text 10, 21 through 24 is correct, not 10, 17 through 20. That was from the week before, so don't worry about that. Let's look at the text, Luke 10, 21 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The word of the Lord. Well, I need to inform you, in case you see any bizarre behavior from your pastor, that I am plain hurt today. Uh, I have a pinched nerve in my back. And, uh, and some say it's from lifting many uh, thousands of pounds of stone as I'm making a masonry furnace. I say poppycock to that. Nonetheless, something has happened. And so um, I am, uh, I don't know, I just can't seem to get rid of this. I do have this wonderful stuff, oxycotin, <laughs> uh, uh, which is good in just taking the edge off. It does have a little... Notice here, it says, do not operate heavy machinery or preach a sermon on a raised platform while taking this medication. It's a small double asterisk. I, however, have no choice. So if I just lay out prone here, you'll know why. Uh, Plus, I can't be uh, accused of any knowingly committing heresy because I'm under the influence of the oxycodone. Nonetheless, it's gonna make for an interesting time. Anybody excited about the Super Bowl that's coming up tonight? Anybody? It's gonna be great stuff, right? Uh, We we have many traditions, as do many people. Do you know that 100 million pounds of guacamole are going to be consumed today? Can you you even envision the concept of 100 million pounds of guacamole? It's downright scary. Um, There's a lot of food, and. There's a lot of fun. Our family has a bit of a tradition that we call Thunderdome. And the way Thunderdome works is we take all of our sofas and we put them together into this sort of, uh, you know, we have this sectional sofa into this little sort of box called Thunderdome and we all sort of jump in it and we watch the Super Bowl from within Thunderdome and we eat this uh, Velveeta cheese, tomatoes, something, something, I don't want to know what's in it. Uh, It tastes really good, sweet the sin, but bitter the taste, if you know what I mean. Um, It's a great time. You know it costs $3,000, the cheapest ticket in the Super Bowl right now, $3,000 to go in the Super Bowl. And we all have traditions around the Super Bowl. uh, And it's a special time for us. You may have grown up watching. Um, But the truth of the matter is I've never been to the Super Bowl. Never actually been there in the show, so to speak. And there's a big difference between um, sort of seeing it on TV and participating in it live. I think there's even a bigger difference seeing it live and actually being on the field, right? We are, uh, what have they said, you know, that a a football game is, uh, you know, 50,000 people desperately in need of exercise, watching uh, the 24 people desperately in need of rest. That's the Super Bowl. There's a difference between spectating and participating. I think that can be said for religion as well, don't you? It's easy to uh, to spectate into the world of Christianity, but as we look at this passage, we discover that Jesus has never been about people spectating. He's been about people participating. There's a great difference between spectating and participating. And as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus Christ has called us to be in the game. Not to know about God the Father, but actually to know God the Father. Not to think about some future time where you'll be able to understand and know God, but rather that the time has come now. And so implicit in this passage is the challenge that Jesus gives to us. What is it that you want? Yes, Thunderdome is a lot of fun. And seeing the game from afar is very interesting. But I have not come to bring you God the Father to be beheld from from afar, but rather a God the Father to know intimately as I know him. I've come to reveal my Father to you. Enter into relationship. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Are we going to be spectators or participators? The disciples, these 12 people, this unlikely team, if you will, of rejects, God called to participate. And they came close. And they saw God. And they were never the same. That's what God is calling us to do today. Well, let's look at these uh, disciples and let's look at this particular passage we need to decode it a little bit it says here in that same hour jesus rejoiced in the holy spirit and said i thank you lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children now if you remember jesus has set his uh his face toward jerusalem he is going to be crucified and as he is going he sends out the 72 in front of him his disciples if you will the larger group of disciples who go out and proclaim the kingdom and they come back and they discuss how the spirit has worked in miraculous ways and Jesus says I saw Satan fall from the sky but rejoice not that the spirit submit to you but rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life and so Jesus then says I rejoice in the Holy Spirit that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Now we have to ask the question, what are these things that have been hidden? In order to understand that, we need to answer the question, who are the little children? Because that's who these things have been revealed to. Well, if we look at the passage, it's clear that the little children are the disciples. This ragtag group of people. The rejects who have been drafted as top draft choices if you will. These little children, they have heard the gospel and they have believed. It's interesting when you look at these people tax collectors, zealots, small businessmen. They're not the wise and the learned according to the scriptures and in fact we discover that they did not actually discover the truth. It's Jesus who went to them and said, follow me. They were just tending their nets or collecting change at the tax collector's booth. Rather, Jesus has revealed to them the truth. And throughout the book of Luke, we discover something very interesting, that the gospel and the kingdom of God works different than the kingdom of man. Who is it that God chooses to bear the Son of God? The queen of Sheba, the most beautiful of all people. No, a pregnant 14-year-old teenager named Mary. It's Mary who's exalted above all. Jesus' message has been, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. The message of the gospel has been for the outcast, the person who doesn't get it, the person who does not get to attend the seminars and be in the close place where they can get the privileged access to the truth. Now Jesus has said, "I praise you, Father, for you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to these little children." Now why has Jesus done this? Why has he? hidden it from the wise and understanding. The wise and understanding, if we look at the scriptures, really aren't interested in the message of the gospel. Romans 1.21 says it this way, For all know they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. See, although people claimed to be wise, although they knew God, quote unquote, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to them. It's interesting how Jesus hides the gospel. We could almost accuse God, are you being unfair here by hiding the gospel? No, he hides it in full sight of these people. Because many want salvation, but they all want to save themselves. Remember the rich person, the rich ruler? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I gotta do? Help me to understand how to plug this into my equation. And Jesus says, you must acknowledge that you've rebelled against God. You must humble yourself. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift. He's hidden salvation in plain sight. And the wise and the intelligent have refused it. You know, there's two ways that you recognize something, how we use that word recognize. One is when you're walking along and you see someone and you recognize who they are in terms of, oh yeah, we went to school together. But there's a different type of recognize when you recognize someone for who they are. Their position, if you will. Like if you recognize a king for who he is. But if you fail to recognize his position, you don't recognize him in that way, correct? See, what God is saying here through Jesus Christ, it's not that the world doesn't recognize who Jesus is. They don't recognize the position that he holds. It's easy to have a Christianity where Jesus is, in essence, my friend. He's the person that gets me out of a jam when I need him. But to recognize him as the one who I need to bow to as king, to recognize him as the only one who can save me, The wise and the understanding and the proud, they won't recognize that. But the disciples, they have recognized. Like little children accepting a gift. And so Jesus rejoices in the wisdom of this. The point I'm trying to make here is that the reason that Jesus is rejoicing is because this message is a message of love and it's a message of grace. It's a message of Jesus wanting to give his own love to people, wanting them to receive it. The disciples have. See, unless it's grace, it's not really love, is it? Unless there are no strings attached, it can't be love. Jesus is rejoicing because the gift of salvation that he brings, he has brought. And the ones who are receiving it are the nobodies, the ordinary people. It's a personal grace. You know, I had a strategy when I was at UVA and I was about to graduate and I realized I needed to get myself a wife. I needed some respectability. Now the question was, who would have me? And so I came up with this strategy, I created a flyer. Here it is. I posted it everywhere, all through the dorms, the the different places, the different buildings, uh, chemistry lab, I wanted someone, you know, psych lab wanted someone really smart. Wanted, one wife. I promise to love whoever chooses to love me. If you are looking for the love of your life, here I am. Just show up to my dorm room and proclaim your love for me. Qualifications needed? None whatsoever. I don't care about your personality or looks. Call one four four three. You're mine. Go whose? <laughs> what a silly way to try to find a wife, right? I'll love whoever loves me. But that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is a God who sets his love and affection on you. Falling in love with you because of his heart and not for yours. Not because you have anything in yourself necessarily to offer, but rather the simple fact that you are you. There's two illustrations to understand the love of the Father and the love of Christ. The love of the Father he wants us to call his father. It's the love between a child and a father. But the best illustration to understand the love of Christ for you is that of a husband and a wife. Maybe harder for men sometimes to understand the concept of the bride of Christ. But the gospel of grace is a personal grace. It's a God who sets his love and affection on you because he wants to. And he woos you almost in spite of yourself and draws you to himself. And almost in spite of yourself, you fall in love with him. See, that's what Jesus is rejoicing and celebrating. I celebrate what's going on here because the people that have absolutely nothing to bring to the equation are recognizing and receiving the love that I have for them. This is the gospel that's going forth. You didn't find Christ. You didn't receive him because you had it all together and you were wiser. The reason you fell in love with him is because he fell in love with you first. And he found you. And that's what's going on. The gospel is going forth then and it's going forth now. And so the application point I want to give you is this. To revel In the choosing that God has given to you. The truth of the matter is we all want to be someone special. We want to be chosen. We want to be worthy. Worthy isn't the right word. We want to be special simply because of who we are not because of what we have or what we do. This is precisely the reason why Jesus has come. It's a gospel of grace. And unless it's grace, it's not love. What are you proclaiming or asking? Do you love me? Will you consider me special? Is it this world? Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I bring to the table. Love me. Care for me. Is it somebody else? I love my wife. My wife loves me but she can never take the place of God in my life. Until we experience the love and grace of God who comes and chooses us simply because he wants to, we'll never find peace in our life. But that's the message of the gospel. No strings attached. The disciples, the little ones recognize it. Have you? Jesus continues on. He says, All things have been handed over to be my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus Christ has come to reveal God. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. See, Jesus has come to give specific, intimate knowledge of God the Father. It's natural, frankly, that it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Because the Son, as Hebrew says, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. No one has ever seen God, John 1.18 says, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. How can we really know what God thinks of us? How can we really know God? I can know a lot of things about God. In fact, before Jesus came, it's amazing the variety of different ways in which God spoke to people, right? Imagine seeing a voice in a burning bush Imagine hearing a voice in the sky there at Mount Sinai as God spoke. God even spoke through a donkey much like he does so today in this congregation. But you know knowledge is different than relationship. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the political uh, you know, candidates and the primaries and things going on and you can read the paper. You can go to their websites and you can learn their positions on a variety of different issues. Foreign policy, monetary policy, defense. It goes on and on and on. I can even know some of their stories. But I don't know them. The gospel The revelation of Jesus Christ that he is giving right now and celebrating moves us from a positional knowledge of God to a personal knowledge of God. Before Jesus Christ, there's many who knew about God, but nobody who knew him in the way that Jesus knows him. No one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John 17 where we overhear a prayer, Jesus just talking to the Father. And we see this intimacy, the Father and the Son who have always been before the galaxies, before the planets, before light itself even existed they were. The glory and the oneness that they had from the beginning of time. I can learn something about someone by speaking to one of their friends, but there is a difference when I go and I speak, when I learn about them from someone that knows them intimately. In fact, is them in a sense. Separate but equal. You want to spend time. Some of you never had a chance to know my son, Mark. My oldest son, Mark. I have three sons. But to know me in a way is to know him. Because of the mannerisms and The DNA that is in me. That you would see him. There's a relationship there. There's an intimacy and a fullness. And Jesus is saying that I have come to show love, the love of God the Father for you, but I've come to bring you to know his own love personally. Notice the theme of the Father and Son in this passage. You know, it actually mentions the father five different times in these four verses. Father, father, father. It mentions the son three times. Son and father. See, this filial relationship Jesus is accentuating is identifying him as the one and the only one who is able to give the definite revelation of God's character and purpose. Nobody knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Jesus is rejoicing because within the gospel, he is creating the opportunity to know the Father as the Son knows the Father. See, if we needed to know God, he could have just sent a prophet or even an angel. But according to how intimately you want to know the person depends on who they send. Is there anyone that knows the Father more intimately than the Son? Philip said, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Oh, Philip, don't you recognize who I am? That I've been with you all of this time? He who has seen the Son has seen the Father. If you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him see ultimately Jesus did not come to save us Jesus came to reintroduce us into the intimacy that Jesus has with the father that we might know him as our father the blessing That Jesus Christ gives is to know God as He knows Him. As a creature knows Him, of course, not creator. But an intimacy that we never could fully understand and know. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing Him. And God the Father says, I want you to call me Father. And that's why I've sent the Son. Had an interesting phone call from a guy named William Orr. Uh, You don't know him, he's the area director of Young Life for Culpeper, Virginia. A dear spiritual son of mine died. His name was Jeff Stables. He was one of the first people that I led to the Lord when I was an area director in um, Augusta County, Virginia, which is over where JMU is by. Jeff was the most unlikely candidates to come to faith. And yet the gospel got a hold. He was one of the disciples, if you will. He was the pot-smoking, hellion, troublemaker with no religious background that heard the gospel and believed. And as I moved on to Williamsburg, he moved on in intimacy with the one that I had the privilege of introducing him to. He got a brain tumor, He ended up passing away. I went to his funeral and got to sit in a balcony of a full church and to see the hundreds of people that had been influenced by his testimony and his walk with Jesus Christ. Well, long story short, William Moore is his best friend. And William Moore gave me a call. See, Jeff is no longer with him. Jeff is in heaven. But I know Jeff in a way that William Moore never did. Why? Because I was the one that introduced him to faith. And so William wants to continue to keep knowing Jeff and learning about him even though he can't be with him. And so he called me and said, can we spend some time together? I'd like to hear about the time that you spent with him and the things that you said to him so I can understand more about why he was the person that he was. And it's going to be a privilege for me to sit down with him and spend time with him because he's going to be able to reveal to me William, uh, Jeff in ways that I could never fully understand because he spent time with him. See, that's what's going on here. Nobody knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We have one that knows everything about the Father and who brings us into intimacy with him. Not to know Jesus, God positionally, but to know God personally. Christ didn't come to save us alone. He came to reintroduce us. And so my challenge for you today is are you entering into the intimacy that Christ came to give you with the Father? Is he really your Father? Is he the one that you go to when you've scraped your knee in the adult sense? When you're hurt? When you're lonely? Is he the one that you go to simply because of the delight of knowing that there's one that wants to know you in such a way as Jesus knows him? that God of the universe would call you son or daughter. How privileged a position. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, Jesus is turning to those disciples and I am turning to you now. And saying, do you recognize what God has given you? The gift of the gospel. There's treasure in my house all around. The opportunity to spend time with my children, to know my wife. Things that I take for granted. It's almost like I possess them. Let me move on to the next thing. I wonder how much time we spend chasing after things that we think are treasures That will yield no fruit for us when the very treasure of life itself is sitting at our feet, waiting for those who would possess it. Now was the time when the gospel and the kingdom broke into heaven, but they didn't even have the Holy Spirit, they didn't have the resurrected Christ. Jesus lives inside of you and me if you are a Christian. And so my call to you today is to recognize this passage and to recognize what has occurred, that the tilt of the axis of the earth shifted when Jesus Christ proclaimed the gospel. If you are a little one, you receive the gospel, not because of one of these ads you saw somewhere, but because you really Understood and felt his pursuing love. Then enter into the relationship that God has given you. It's not at the Super Bowl. It's not someplace else you go once you get more knowledge, or you can come up with three thousand bucks for a ticket. It's in your closet. It's in the dead of night. It's in the quietness of the morning or in a field when you can sit and with the scriptures talk to the God of the universe who longs to know you and to be known by him. There's no greater treasure or gift that we can have than to know God the Father and God the Son. And as we spend time seeking him, Reveling in the gift of salvation. We above all people will be blessed. I don't have any new knowledge or information for you, but rather a call to recognize that which you have. And if you don't have it yet, to hear the cry of God who has come to you. I want to love you. Receive my love. Enter into relationship come and know me. This may be one of the messiest sermons I ever preached, but love is messy. It's not a formula, three chords in the truth. It's about a God who got messy, who died on a cross, who rejoiced in death, that the way might be open, that we would know him in a way that transcends mere understanding. It's about relationship. It's about love. It's about grace. Don't miss it for the Super Bowl or whatever it is that's clamoring to you. I tell you, the time is now. For blessed are the eyes that see what you see and hear what you hear. Such is the gift of God. Let's pray. Lord, how do you get your hands around such an idea? A concept that you would love us so much, Jesus, that you would come to earth and put on flesh and be willing to be killed and crucified. Lord, that your passion and love is so deep. Father, that you would want to know us in such a way that you would pursue us so recklessly. Lord, help us to rejoice in the gospel now, not in what is to come, but the hope of the glory of God that sits right in our lap. Help us not to run after other things which are so foolish and childish and cheap compared to the treasure of knowing you. All of this I pray in Christ's name. Amen.